Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca David. A little later than normal, but always welcome. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, John. You were following up sort of on the conversations. Well, we've had plenty of conversations this week around it, but there was a Cape Flats protest at Parliament earlier today. There was, yes. Um, Those are the members of the Provincial Community Policing Forums who have made a series of demands to the Minister of Police, including the controversial, in some cases, call for the army to be deployed, a state of emergency to be declared in crime hotspots. They say they simply need a force multiplier. They need more bodies on the ground at this moment, police, I mean, and soldiers, in order to stem what they're describing as just an untenable crisis, which is exactly what it appears to be. I mean, Faisal has just sent me a WhatsApp. I was chatting to a friend who knows an 82-year-old widowed aunt of ours who lives in Manenburg, close to Danafontaine Road. The auntie said the shooting is so bad in the area that she eats her meals while sitting on the floor in case shooting erupts. What has become a society that innocent people have to eat their meals while sitting on the floor to be safe from gang violence? It's just absolutely chilling, John. I mean, I I can't stop thinking about it, that there's this whole area of Cape Town, you know, the supposedly world-class city, which is, you know, like somewhere in Colombia or Brazil at the moment, just 10 minutes from the airport. I think one of the most concerning aspects from my research this week on speaking to people in the floods is that there's a sense that the violence is spreading to areas that were not particularly badly affected previously. So places where you may not normally have seen gang-related murders, for instance, are now becoming affected. And I think that's really frightening, as well as the sheer body count. It's the sense that the tentacles of this crime network, of this gangsterism, are spreading. And that, in combination with the reports I'm receiving, that PAGAD is once again on the rise, that there is... Well, my my WhatsApp screen tells me that there are quite a few people who would welcome that, who think that that is long overdue. That's a a sentiment I've heard expressed several times, that, you know, there is a sense perhaps that one of the only mechanisms over the past 20 or 30 years that served to even briefly douse the flames of, of gangsterism was People Against Gangsterism and Drugs, PAGAD, the very controversial vigilante group. And I mean, it, it says something, John, when we are discussing this soberly as, you know, a potential solution to this problem, because as we know, some of the acts perpetrated by Paget were atrocious, you know, totally criminal in their own right as well. It's yeah, but I mean, yeah, um, Becky Quelle goes with the National Co- National Police Commissioner to Philippi East on Monday after that dreadful murderous weekend. And he says, I'm meeting with other ministers in the security cluster tomorrow, and then I'm going to come back to you with a plan. Not not a plan for next year, but a plan for tomorrow. Mm. It's Thursday. There's been no feedback, you know. And and you can you can forgive those few people who retain some flickering ember of hope mm. in the official uh, um, official institutions for you know dousing that flicker of hope when this is the sort of thing that happens. I think there's definitely a sense that the community itself is being forced to pick up the slack. This has always been the case on the on the flats, but perhaps even more so now. Forming networks to let each other know, to warn each other, to share information. I mean, these are all things that should, in a capable state, be the responsibility, you know, of police, of social services, or perhaps even the media. This community in the flats is having to take that on. And it's also, John, this crisis is fueling other forms of social, um, what's the word? Social unhappiness. So, for instance, there's a lot of talk on the flats about the borders at the moment because there's a sense that the guns are coming in are not 
guns you would normally find in South Africa, that they're being brought over the borders. And that fuels calls for greater border control. It fuels xenophobia. So it becomes this destructive cycle where one social issue bleeds into another. And what we're feeding here is this... You know, this maelstrom of, of, of violence and toxicity, and I just, I'm scared, John. I'm scared for where it's going. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, yesterday James Small died, and I was interviewing various people who'd played with him, and Jonathan Kaplan, who'd reffed him and had been reasonably friendly with him, and I was skirting around some of the more troubled aspects of James Small's history and I was I was using euphemisms like he was he was a difficult bloke and there were some ups and downs in his career and I'm sitting here talking to Francois Pinar and Jonathan Kaplan and Chester Williams and others and and going should I be saying and obviously I gave myself the answer no I shouldn't be saying not now not under these circumstances not when his death is so recent I should be saying but he admitted that he hit his girlfriend talking to Chester Williams and Chester telling what a great guy was. Chester, in your, in your autobiography, you wrote about the, the, the terrible racial epithets he flew at you in, in a rugby game. And, and you said that you always felt that he was jealous of you and that you were never friends. You know, so now how, does, how, how all of a sudden is he shining golden bright? Yeah. And I think, John, we've discussed this before, actually, that there's very much this culture in South Africa of you don't speak ill of the dead, you don't speak ill of the dead, or perhaps... You can over time, but certainly not immediately. But, I mean, the reason I wanted to discuss this is because I was honestly getting enraged today just reading these successions of euphemisms used about James Small, about the rebel, the bad boy. I read an article which said his relationship with model Christina Storm had ups and downs. I mean, I think it is possible to talk with respect of someone who has died and to celebrate their good points and the fact that they could play rugby really well while not, you know, whitewashing an entire character, which I feel is what is happening with James Small, that this is a person with a documented history of violence towards women, person who, as you said, was claimed and seemingly quite uh, verifiably so to have called Chester Williams the K-match, that Chester Williams seemed, in fact, to blame James Small for like a lingering racial antipathy in the 1995 World Cup team. So we have this like violent racist man being celebrated from all corners, including the ANC, who referred to him as a fallen soldier, died in his boots. And I understand, the, of course, the, um, the, the, the need to you know, be respectful of loved ones, etc. I don't doubt that James Small was a decent man in other respects that he may have even rehabilitated himself in later life. But I think that if we are trying at all, to be honest, I just cannot see the justification for simply glossing over these. And these aren't small things, John. These are things which go to the very fabric of, you know, our society, racism, violence against women. How can we just overlook them? Yeah, and, and we... But it's all about context and balance because... To say that he did these things a long time ago in the early 2000s was when he confessed to having been physically violent to Christina Storm. Um, and another woman subsequently 20, accused him. Yeah. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't lose its horror because it happened 15 years and more ago. But then how much do you give him credit for the changes that he made? There were a couple of suicide attempts. And those suicide attempts and the way that various people, including Nelson Mandela, apparently mm. responded to him, changes the trajectory of his life. And 
That's so, fine, Don. I'm, yeah, I'm glad so, for him. But I'm saying let's discuss it all then in a candid fashion. Let's say this was a guy who seems to have been deeply troubled, who had clearly issues with mental health, who responded with violence towards women, who was known to have been racist at least some points in his career. And 